Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetumc.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So last week, I invited you to join Methodists all over the southeastern part of the United States and probably the world in praying for the Southeastern Jurisdictional Conference as Methodists gathered, both clergy and laity, to elect our newest bishops, which of course will affect us because our bishop, Bishop Cho, is retiring and we would be receiving a new bishop. Well, it is my honor and privilege and with much excitement to tell you that the delegates have done their job. They have, in fact, elected for us a new bishop. And it is an incredible moment in the history of the United Methodist Church because for the first time, the Southeastern Jurisdictional Conference elected an African-American woman. And she is the first to be elected as bishop, and she is coming here. She will be our new bishop. And so in September, the Virginia Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church will welcome with open arms and open hearts the Reverend and soon-to-be Bishop Sharma Lewis. She is coming to us from the North Georgia Conference. And it is there that Methodism has seen a boom. They are the largest conference in the world. And there she has been serving as a district superintendent in charge of over 60 churches. She has a lot of experience and has borne a lot of fruit in church growth. And so she comes here to add her voice and her leadership to the administration of the church in Virginia. And we are excited over this. It is a momentous occasion and one that is long overdue. And so I would like for you to join me in a moment of prayer as we pray God's blessings upon the church and upon our new bishop. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, as we gather together in your name, we come to you in prayer. We give thanks for the many vessels through whom you guide your church that there are people that you call to a place of power and authority, not for their glory, but for yours. And as we, the Church of United Methodism in Virginia, prepare to receive our newest bishop, the Reverend Sharma Lewis, we pray that you will richly endow her with the gifts and graces for this position to which she has been called and is now appointed. Consecrate her heart and enable her to pour out herself for us, so that we may be led into a deeper and more profound understanding of who we are as the body of Christ in this commonwealth. For all the things that you have done, Almighty God, we give you thanks. And we pray that you will remove any barriers or obstacles within us and the church that would prevent us from receiving her and hearing her prophetic voice. For what you do, what you are doing, and what you will do long into the future, we, your people, give you thanks and praise, Almighty God. Amen. Thank you. I pray that you will continue to join your brothers and sisters in Christ praying all over during this time of Episcopal transition. It's a huge moment in the church all over the world, and we are thankful that God continuously calls up leaders to help us grow and live in grace. I invite you now to hear these words of Scripture from in, coming from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 28. Hear these words about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshy body through his death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So as I was praying and reading over this scripture for probably the umpteenth time in my life, I took great comfort in knowing that Christians all over the world would be hearing these words again and listening to God say new things through and about these words. And that as we have continued in this journey through the lectionary text, that God is indeed saying new and poignant, profound things to us, even now, with words that were written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. In some cases, thousands and thousands of years ago. But what do you say about this text? It's rather long and wordy. A lot of he is, he did, he will. And yet, God is saying to us, this is who I am. Know who you are. Scripture isn't just about telling us what we need to know in a moment, but helping us to understand who we are. So that as we go about our lives and things come crashing into them, that we know who we are enough to say, this is how I should respond. This is the kind of reaction that should be called forth from a Christian, a beloved child of God, rather than lashing out with our sinful nature. Instead, we take strength and are edified, built up through the scriptures. We should never use the scriptures to tear ourselves down or tear down others, but instead to uplift, to be reminded that God has incredible things in store for us and that we are part of a divine blueprint to bring the kingdom ever closer and ever more real for all people, for all time. 
So as I was reading these words, I thought, these sound really familiar. And not because I've read the Bible a lot, but because they are referenced somewhere. And I thought, maybe it's a hymn, maybe it's a, a song that I'm missing, and I couldn't find it exactly. And then I thought, well, maybe it's in the Book of Discipline. I've had to spend a lot of time reading that. So I broke that out again, thought I was done with that. Nope, never done with that. Keep that on your nightstand. And looked through it, thought maybe John Wesley had cited Colossians, but no, that wasn't it either. And so I was trying to figure out where I had heard it, and then it occurred to me, ah, this is from an affirmation of faith. This is one of the pieces of our tradition that has been handed down through the ages from Christians to Christians, not only for Christians, but for the glory of God. And so I went into my hymnal, and there it was, and I said, I know it. I know this affirmation. The consistency between the scripture and the tradition was of comfort to me. And I was glad to see that Christians had continued to hear the scripture and put it in first person, that this is our truth. And so what is an affirmation of faith? Well, if you're not familiar with the Catholic Church or some of the more high liturgical churches, then you may not know what an affirmation of faith is, but I guarantee you that you've heard of some of the creeds, right? The Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. These are affirmations of faith that when Christians would gather together, they would say them not only to proclaim to the world who they were, but to remind themselves who they are. The Apostles' Creed is part of our baptism liturgy. It's also part of our confirmation liturgy if we use the full length of it. That we ask our confirmands and we ask those who come forward to be baptized to state with great conviction who God is and who they are in light of our Lord and Savior. And so the affirmations are important, but sometimes they can seem a little old, right? a little outdated. Sometimes the language is a little archaic. So why do we bother? Why do we take up valuable printed space in the hymnals, and why do churches around the world continue to say them? It's because they help us stay centered in who we are. Now, there are affirmations outside of the church, and I've been encountering one a lot more than I have for a long time. So I've been here three weeks on Monday. Is that right, Clifton? Three weeks on Monday? So two weeks ago, we obviously didn't have enough to do, so we enrolled Luke in karate class. He wanted to get involved in the martial arts, and it helps that his best friend next door has been doing this for a while. So Tommy invited Luke to come to a class on a Tuesday, one week after our furniture arrived at the house, and we went over, and Luke fell in love. American freestyle karate. Long may it rain. And he immediately said after that one session, I'm in, I want to do this, let's, let's see what we have to do. And the next day we went back, we had a private session where we talked about the responsibilities and what you're supposed to be doing, and he got his little gi, and he looks like Ralph Macchio with a mohawk, it's, it's great, it's, he's really all into it. And so we keep responding constantly with, karate is for self-defense only. Do not use it on the dogs or on anybody else. It's only for self-defense. But as I take him to class, every class begins the same way. And some of his classes are multi-generational. We have itty-bitty little kids and we have adults, some of them are senior citizens in these classes. And they are all engaged and they start by saying the Pledge of Allegiance. 
Y'all remember that one? So they stand there, and with great reverence, they say the Pledge of Allegiance. And as they're saying the Pledge of Allegiance, you can tell the people that are embodying the words. And the words are not only for those people who are listening to the pledge, but for the people that are saying it. Think about the Pledge of Allegiance and the way it tells us who we are as Americans and what the United States is about, right? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, that we are more than just a loose confederation of states and commonwealths. Instead, we are one nation, one, united, pledging ourselves to one another, overriding regional and even smaller size um, differences that differentiate us and sometimes cause some tension, that instead we are one nation. And for now, we are still under God. And it's a statement that this country has for a very long time, might argue back at its inception, been a place for religious freedom. That here it is of value. And here it is given a place not only in our private lives, but in our public ones. And so it continues to undergird this notion that we are a people not only of unity, but of some variety of faith. And the pledge continues. It talks about how much we value being a republic, that it makes a stance about how we vote and the rights and the privileges that we have in order to take part in that. And it's about liberty and justice for all, that all people are invited into this richness of freedom, that we don't have it only for certain demographics, but instead that every citizen is invited to enjoy and increase their presence in that. It's a good affirmation. And most of the time, people run right through it and don't think about it. So affirmations exist for the point of giving us some language that we can recall in our moment of need. And the Pledge of Allegiance will help you do that. It makes you sound very eloquent. And so do the affirmations and the creeds of the church. But why, in a world that is becoming less liturgical, would we bother saying these things? It's because the church has inherited through the ages what we call the communion of saints. Now, for those of you who have more interaction with the Catholic Church, that means an entirely different thing. But in the Protestant stream of Christianity, the communion of saints is the culmination of the faith of every Christian. Every Christian. It doesn't mean that you manifest miracles from God, but instead that you yourself are a miracle of God. That God has given you grace and has endowed you with talents and the opportunities to explore those and grace the world with them. And so, as the communion of saints is embodied in our hymnals, you will discover in this book, that many of us don't even pick up anymore, that there are songs that well from deep within someone's heart. That the authors and the composers, that they were vulnerable, that they put themselves out there to put a piece of their faith on paper and to share it with the world and invite others to take onus of it. Right? Do you ever have a personal anthem that when that song comes on, it's like, stop talking to me, this is my song, my moment? Do you ever have that? Some of you have it in the car. I've been driving around town, I see. And the truth is that for some people, 
their personal anthem is in here. It's not just one that makes them feel good like Aretha Franklin. It's one that makes them feel beloved and as a child of God. And so they put great risk into putting that out into the world and letting somebody read it and critique it and edit it and decide if it was in the canon or out. And they have given you a tremendous gift. Every hymn that we have sung this morning is somebody's heart and soul on paper. And when we sing that, we are once more giving their faith wings to fly and hoping that ours will catch a ride. It's an important thing. But some people will look at the hymnal and say, well, you know, some of these are very old. Some of these are before the turn of the century, the last one. And some of them will say, you know, the words are real, like that old English, just not feeling that anymore. And others will say, a lot of these are written by people who don't look, sound, or act like I do. Can the vessel determine the truth? That's the question we're asking, right? Can the words of John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, can they be mine? Can that be my truth? Is it possible for me, a 35-year-old Caucasian woman living in Crozet, Virginia, is it possible for that to be my truth? And it's a question worth asking. It's an important thing to consider and to wrestle with, which is our tradition in Scripture, if not in the church. Is it possible for a very Anglo, white, British man to have my truth long before I was born. And I had to wrestle with that more recently, not this past general conference, but the one before. I was watching a live stream of it, and there was a motion being put forth for vote, and the board of society that put it forward was questioned from the floor. A delegate wanted the board to get up on the stage and be displayed. And they wanted that because there was a question about, could the people that are making this decision and offering us a possible solution, can they speak for me? The person from the floor wanted to know. Does the vessel determine the truth? And so they called them up. And I remember thinking to myself, this feels very wrong. This feels very wrong because the truth is, I am a minister of the word. I serve a gospel that is recorded in four accounts, all written by men. But that's my truth. That is my gospel. It exists because I need it. It exists because I hear my sinfulness reflected in it. And the glory and the grace that has been given to me from God on high is recorded there first and it reverberates in my heart. And so I thought this is not the way it should be, that the vessel should not determine the validity of the message. But we all know that sometimes the exterior can taint for us what we hear and what we see. We all know that people can be caught up in window dressing and veneer and fail to see the core. And I still mourn that at the largest gathering of Methodists in the world, that this was something we displayed. That perhaps the differences in our ages and our genders, our skin color, our culture, 
Perhaps that can become such an overriding barrier that we cannot hear God in the other. Is that just to our Lord? I don't believe so. I don't believe so at all. I believe that I can put my own spin, because my vessel will naturally do that, on how something is presented or how the truth of God comes out, but it is no less the truth of God. If I stay faithful and I stay rooted in the Scripture and I stay connected to the church, that it is less of me and more of God, that it doesn't matter if I'm wearing jeans or if I'm wearing a suit, that it doesn't matter if my hair is clean or not, that it doesn't matter if my makeup is done or a mess, that what is really important to us is that my heart is in Christ and that Christ lives in this heart. That's the point, so that I can stand before you and I can sing the same words to a new tune. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. It's my tune, but it's his words, and it's God's truth right? A wretch like me, a wretch like John Newton, wretch like us, that it doesn't matter the vessel, that the truth is buried there. And it's our job to search the scriptures and to search the heart and to look for the divine that is there, that if we peel back the exterior and we mimic what God does, who can look deep into the heart and rend it and search through the sinful inclinations and find there the spark of the divine that was placed at our creation. That any person can magnify the Lord. Any human being can be a vessel of God's eternal and gracious truth. That it does not matter what box I check on a census form. It doesn't matter how I present myself on Sunday morning. That what God has placed in here is what is important for us to receive. And if I'm going to expect you to grant me that grace, to not hear the Sarah, but instead the Christ, then I have to be willing to do the same for you and for others. And it's a give and take, a reciprocity. It's about saying that I realize that I mess up the message. There are times where I think, man, I really blew that sermon. And then somebody will come up to me and say, you were speaking to me. And I heard God loud and clear. It's not because I'm great, but God alone. If you can take a wretch like this and get something godly out of it, then what more proof of miracles do you need? We are here, my brothers and sisters, because Christians have been plowing through faith for almost 2,000 years. 
for almost 2,000 years, we have been encountering trials and tribulations that have slammed into our lives. They have made us question not only who God is, but who we are. And what is our purpose and why is this? It is the most basic and elemental premise of theodicy. Why do good things happen to bad people? And why do bad things happen to good? And we will continue to wrestle with that. We will wonder why the faithful get cancer. We will wonder why the good die young. We will wonder why sin is made manifest and its evil is visited upon the church. We will wonder how people can gather in a house of God for a Bible study and be attacked. We will wonder why these things happen. But the truth is they happen because there are a lot of wretches like us. And we are the ones thus far who have tasted the grace of God and have refused to continue to drink from that cup of sin. And there will be days that we will backslide and there will be days that we falter and there will be days that we look like we are failing. But if our heart is truly ingrained in Christ, then nothing will deprive us of being a child of God. And so the affirmations exist to remind us that in our greatest moments of need, who we are, that people can say these creeds and these affirmations and they remember that they are saying them for themselves. I've spent a lot of time in the Catholic Church kind of by proxy, more visiting than leading. And as I've been there, I always listen to them as they say their creeds. And sometimes they say them like we say the pledge. I believe in one Lord, blah, 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 blah. But every now and then I hear somebody, and it's like those are their words of truth. And their heart is open before God and for others. And they are speaking those ancient words as if it was written on their hearts. And they are theirs. And so when we remind ourselves with these affirmations, we're not only being connected to Christians who have gone before, a faith that pervades through the ages and the generations, but we are allowing ourselves to be reminded who God is and what we are called to be in light of that. So I'm going to invite you to do something that you may not have ever done or done for a while. I'm going to invite you to read the affirmation of faith that is based upon the Colossians text I read for you a moment ago. I'm going to invite you to say the words and hear them new. Let them be your own, because the day is coming, my family of faith, when we are going to need these words. They will need to be on our lips, and they will need to be inscribed on our hearts, because there will be things that will be invading our minds, and things that are trying to draw us away from God rather than let God be filled in us. And so, if you are willing and able and ready, would you stand and join me in the affirmation of faith that is found on 888 in your hymnal, but we have it up on the screen, so you're welcome to read it either way. This is the good news, which we have received in which we stand and by which we are saved. Christ died for our sins, was buried was raised on the third day and appeared first to the women, 
then to Peter and the Twelve, and then to many faithful witnesses. We believe Jesus is the Christ, the Anointed One of God, the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn from the dead, in whom all things hold together, in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell by the power of the Spirit. Christ is the head of the body, the church, and by the blood of the cross reconciles all things to God. Amen. Please be seated. This past week, I went to the hospital to visit a church member who has been struggling with illness for a while. And it's possible that her time in this life is drawing to a close. And I just kept hearing these words reverberate in our encounter, not necessarily in our words. But when people in that situation ask me, can I be forgiven of my sins? Can I truly be forgiven? These words resonate in who I am, that we have good news. The answer is yes. We not only can be forgiven, we are forgiven. It is the good news which we have received. We can stand firm and justified before God Almighty because of this truth. And it is by this truth that we have been saved. Christ died for us. And not only us who are gathered here, but those who have not yet taken their rightful place in the body of Christ. That Christ appeared and transformed people's lives. That the resurrected Christ not only turned their mourning into rejoicing, but it turned their lives into the testimony of the ages. And that we believe that Jesus is Christ, anointed, called, blessed, and beloved. And we who follow him are too. And that when the time comes and there is division and dissension in the local church, it is not myself or any other clergy or the head of the admin council or even the bishop who is the head of this church. This church belongs to Jesus Christ. He is the head of the body, the church. And it is his sacrifice that enables all things to be reconciled. All things all people, that the gospel was not just meant for Americans or people who look and speak and think like me, but that long before people like me existed, that God said every life is sacred. It is of worth in heaven. May it be likewise on earth. These affirmations of faith are yours. They exist here for you by people who were just like you. They may have looked a little different. They may have spoken in different ways. But like you, their heart was being transformed by the love of God. And like you, the name that they bore is Christ. And so in your moment of need or in your desire to grow, I commend to you these affirmations and these creeds. You'll find them in the back of the hymnal. And if the day should come when the sermon is really boring, then I invite you to turn there. <laughs> Just do it on the down low. <laughs> and let these words become yours. Take heart in knowing that if words are not your strong suit, that God has blessed others and has let their words become yours. 
and that through the ages, we are not alone. Not only is God present and at work in us, but God is present and at work in others who are giving of themselves every day so that we might grow and be transformed and thus transform the world into the kingdom of God. Your faith is not your own. It is a gift of God, the first manifestation of God's grace. And we are called to go forth and let that grace permeate everything. As we enter into the dawn of a new Episcopal era here in Virginia, as we have continued to enter into a time of new pastorate, as the world is changing faster than any of us would like to admit, it is time for us to stay more to and grounded in God. Our faith is the greatest gift we have ever been given. Let us not squander that on ourselves. May it become the best means of grace that any of us ever have to give. Amen? Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetumc.org to learn about ways you connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.